Hello and welcome to this new Mandala podcast, the second in a series on a new Malaysia, and that's a new Malaysia with a question mark. I'm Liam Gammon, I'm the editor of New Mandala. If you ever visited Malaysia before this year's 14th general election, or GE14, you'd have noticed that coverage of politics and policy in most media outlets was pretty much indistinguishable from propaganda for the old Barisan Nasional government. And if you've picked up a newspaper in Malaysia since GE14, you could be forgiven for concluding that, well, things haven't really changed all that much since the election of the new Pakatan Harapan government. But what does the post-GE14 media landscape look like to the people who actually write the news in Malaysia? Well, to answer this question, we sat down with two working journalists from the Malay Mail, which is an English-language newspaper based in KL that also has a major presence online. Busu Lin is an editor and columnist at the Malay Mail. Her writing covers human rights, gender, politics and many other topics in Malaysia. She's joined by her colleague Zurairi Abdulrahman, who's also now a news editor and columnist after many years as a reporter. His writing also focuses on a range of topics in Malaysian affairs, but has a particular focus on religion and social issues. As we get started, I'll just note that this podcast is being produced with the support of the Malaysia Institute at the Australian National University's College of Asia and the Pacific. And today, your host is the Institute's director, Dr. Ross Tapsell, who also researches and teaches on Southeast Asian media at the ANU's School of Culture, History and Language. Here's Ross in conversation with Busu Lin and Zurairi Abdulrahman. Thanks for joining us here today, both yeah, of you. Yeah, sure. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, it's a great day to meet you guys. We generally think of Malaysia as being under an electoral authoritarian system where the media is uh, controlled and there's different types of controls that occur under an electoral authoritarian system up until the recent election uh, shift, perhaps. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to report under that system? Well, it has been difficult. I mean, because on one hand, a lot of the mainstream media outlets in Malaysia uh, before the 2018 election, they were controlled and actually still are controlled by political parties. The political parties of AMNO and MCA um, had stakes in newspapers like NSD, Berita Harian, Utusan and The Star. And besides political parties having ownership in uh, several media companies, they also had a lot of laws that restricted uh, freedom of speech and press freedom, right? There's the Printing Presses and Publications Act, which requires news outlets to have a license that could be taken. So in order for you to uh, renew your license, you, have, you, you basically have to make sure that you have a very good relationship with the government. No, you don't need to renew anymore. The, you, no, not anymore. The I mean, Najib yeah. administration yeah. changed that. Yeah. But then, Before, prior to that. Correct. Yeah. But then they still could take away your media license or suspend you, which they did. They suspended the edge for three months uh, right. because of a report on 1MDB. Right, yeah. sure. So basically, you still have that same risk of uh, offending the administration. But I think uh, what many people may not be familiar with is that the restrictions are, I mean, there are laws, of course, but there are also, how do we say it, uh, unofficial restrictions, or rather, uh, this comes in the forms of government officials who would advise editors on what you should or should not write. And also, especially, this is especially, I think, perhaps uh, much truer with the mainstream press, is that uh, you usually have 
the same narrative that you subscribe to whenever you're reporting an event. And I think a lot of people do not understand how ambiguous uh, these restrictions is because it's not like there is, a, there is a set of rules of what you can or you cannot report. Uh, but mostly editors uh, just tend to be very self-conscious and they self-censor themselves because uh, you just cannot be sure what will offend the government yeah. of the day. So um, sometimes it can be something very random and something very minor that you just on that day unfortunately happened to overlook. So, Did but you then have it that became, experience yourself? Uh, me, myself. Um, I can't remember. Yeah, uh, yeah I know. Um. <laughs> Well, there was once where I wrote in a... Because I have a weekly Friday column where I talk about current affairs, human rights, uh, civil liberties and all that. So there was one particular column of mine which we never expected to get us into trouble, but it did. Police reports were lodged against me and the police actually interviewed me. And then we had to take down the article. Uh, it was a column article, it was a news report, but that's an instance of where you just don't know what will suddenly piss off the government. It's perhaps even worse with opinions, I guess, because sometimes yeah. a stray line that is completely unrelated to the whole narrative of the column may still yeah. be picked upon, and especially by people who are not entirely um, understand the subtleties of the English yeah. language, perhaps. Yeah, and those are mostly related to racial and religious issues. I often think of the Malaysian media as having three aspects, or, or at least how they're seen. One is the you know, fervently pro-Barasan Nacional media which is owned by political parties. Uh, the other is the uh, fervently uh, pro-free uh, journalism uh, type uh, organisations like Malaysia Kini and uh, perhaps previously the Malaysian Insider which were generally seen as being pro-opposition outlets, right? And then we sort of have this middle ground of say Sinaharian Malay Mail, um, Oriental Daily, maybe in the Chinese language media, and maybe The Edge would, would be another example of that. People who are trying to um, not annoy the regime too much, or tried not to annoy the regime too much, but then um, also there were restrictions around ownership settings. And Can you tell us a little bit about this group that, that you're, I know you two are in the Malay Mail, but more broadly uh, this group about some of the challenges of reporting? Perhaps a little bit about us. Um, it's not just trying not to upset or uh, praise anyone but I think uh, for us uh, more importantly we try to cover news that are not strictly political so we cover all bases so uh, we are not seen as being uh, perhaps very critical have very critical political reporting but mostly because there we feel that there is a lot of other stories that the readers uh, should know about as well and not just political stories but I think when you talk about uh, this kind of um, middle range um, uh, publications it's, uh, I think, trying to balance between um, what you're trying to report and trying to get to run the stories that you think people would want to read as well. I mean, we try to cover both sides as fairly as we can. I mean, you know, we, I remember back then before, before the 2018 election, we actually want to give space to Pakatan or uh, to the opposition to talk about their policies, you know. Um, so even if, e even if the media could not report on 1MDB specifically, but there's also space to talk about other things, right? You know. So yes, you're referring, I guess, um, most famously to the the banning or the license revoke of the Edge media. 
Um, what happened then in, in your organisations or when it came to writing about 1MDB? I think it has been mentioned before by our editors. Uh, it says that we, I think, and I think a lot of in the public also realised that uh, we just did not run uh, negative coverage of not only 1MDB but also the previous Prime Minister, uh, Dr Sri Najib Raza, and also uh, his wife, uh, Dr Sri Rosma Manso. And I think uh, for those who are not in the industry, it is perhaps uh, fair to understand that sometimes the directive does not come from Najib or the Prime Minister's office directly but rather it comes from those who are under him or sycophants probably uh, who are trying to gain favour with the administration yeah. by doing their own uh, initiative in trying not to get this sort of negative news uh, to come out uh, yeah. and in, in when, when uh, the media listen to them they gain favour with the administration um, but also, I think, like I mentioned before, uh, it's it's not so much about um, just not um, reporting uh, stories about that, but it's just sometimes um, stories that are unrelated to those issues may also not find space um, because we, you just don't know what will upset that right. uh, administration sure. before. Yeah, And uh, we tried to push the line. We really did. We tried to push the line on 1MDB coverage. I mean, I myself wrote an article back in March 2016 about how um, the 1MDB audit report, the official audit report by the Malaysian Auditor General, it was placed under the OSA. So it's not, you can't just look at the media, you know, I mean, you want to blame the media for being sick of fans or for not standing up for press freedom or for public interest. I mean, it's not really fair to say that too because you have to look at all the other institutions as well. If they are not playing their role, if, you know, I mean, they placed the audit report, uh, they classified the audit report of 1MDB as a state secret. If it wasn't a state secret, I'm sure the media would have covered it, you know. Um, we would have put it up and then people can read it for themselves. Um, if the police had done their job, they had properly investigated 1MDB, the media sure. would definitely right. would have reported it. Right. It's just that it was all shut down in the country and the only ones who could get access to any sort of investigation were done outside the country. So it's like, so what's the point anyway for, for local media per se to report 1MDB when nothing was being done to investigate it locally but it was all done overseas? So naturally, you would have uh, overseas journalists, American journalists, American media outlets reporting on it because there was stuff going on in their country that they could report. And, and the Malaysians here would then have to rely on what was happening overseas to investigate 1MDB. Right. Alright, let's talk a, a little bit about the, the new Malaysia, or at least the post-G14 Malaysia, and what it's like to be a journalist now. I mean, even just as an opening question, does it feel weird to talk about these pressures openly with a foreign academic, you know, with <laughs> microphones in your hand, and, and you knowing that this is going to be online? How does it feel? I, I, I don't think uh, when it comes to that is very much different. But I think um, I think the mo the moment we actually felt that way was um, in the morning, right after, in the wee hours of the morning after the results were um, announced. That we it, it really felt like there was a very huge weight taken off your shoulder and your chest. And then I think the first article I wrote directly after the results was for the front page of the paper uh, detailing the victory of. To Dr. Mahathir Mohamad, it's just that uh, suddenly we were free to be critical of Najib because he's no longer in power. It's like a switch has suddenly been switched off and now you can just finally 
say anything that you wanted. So I, I, we find it very refreshing. But at the same time, we must not forget that uh, with great power comes great responsibility. And with the freer media, I think we still need to learn how to manage uh, that freedom. Um, I think Sulin has much more to say uh, on that. On, on uh, yeah. Well, we elected a new government, but it still seems that people, the people still have kind of the same attitude in the sense that they still aren't as critical as the new government as they should be, which is understandable. I mean, we've never had a new government before and um, some people may just be a little bit scared of um, voicing out openly what they say, especially when there are so many other pro-Pakatan people out there who might shut them down. And in terms of the media, in terms of press freedom, yeah, we can report whatever we want on Najib now, but what's the point? He's out of power. He has no power. The role of the media is to hold powerful people accountable. Najib so is not powerful not anymore. so far you're not seeing that in, uh, in the sort of journalistic community in Malaysia? as Yeah, even the past, the media... Even in the past, the media did not criticize the government. I still see that same attitude now that most of the media outlets in Malaysia, they still praise the government. It's just a new government now, but right. nonetheless, they right. still... The professional practice of, you know, praising government policies. Yeah, continues. it's still there. Right. It's just different hands now. And like I said, there's really no point to... I mean, sure, it's great. We see all the scandals uh, about Najib coming out now, but he's out of power. He can't do anything anymore. But there's also um, a point of uh, it being uh, just pandering to whatever is uh, commercially viable. I mean, it is much. it makes much more sense to run stories uh, that are pro-government because a lot of the readers are very much pro-government now. They, they, they love to read about Dr. Made. They love to read about his government. And so you just tend to have uh, not only more stories about Mahade and the government, but also uh, stories that are positive and rarely critical about him. And I think uh, a lot of media organizations uh, find themselves in that same situation where no, in, in order for them to be profitable, in order for them to be watched by the public, for their papers to be bought, um, to, for, for their uh, portals uh, to have so many clicks. Uh, so they, they, it's just uh, prudent, financially prudent to run stories that are pro-government rather than uh, those are critical of Mahdi because who, who would want to be on your side if you are critical of a very popular Mahdi right now? But generally, you're saying, though, that the media is more responsive to what people want to read about in this new Malaysia than they were in, in the old one. I mean, in, in the sense that journalists, are, are you looking now more about what you think readers want to read rather than what you think, in large part, uh, has to be reported? No, I think that balancing between what readers want to read and what we think readers should read in the in the good of public interest i think that um we've always tried to find that balance even since before i think whether the government changed or not that doesn't make a difference there's always that that balance yeah. the financial challenges of media organizations in malaysia is really quite fascinating um particularly with the rise of whatsapp and facebook which we know were very influential yeah. you, you traveled around through kulantan right yes so. and i think uh, the, the, 
what I discovered was that one of the biggest challenges of the media, even before the elections and after the elections, is that we have to now compete with social media. People are getting their statements and comments from politicians directly through uh, um, text messaging apps such as uh, WhatsApp. And even now, um, we practically have to contend with uh, Facebook video live streams uh, by, the, by the government itself and the government parties. Um, so how do you how do you get much faster than that? How do you get much more accurate than that? Because people can just uh, literally just just see their leaders on their phones. I remember there was this one situation where we were having dinner and then uh, there was a press conference by the prime uh, then not yet prime minister Otomade and everyone just whipped up their phone to watch the live stream. Yeah, and right. How, how much faster can that be? So I think uh, it falls on us now on the media not just to report but also uh, to be a uh, curator as such and uh, to, to analyze whatever is happening and let people know which uh, stories are, that are the most important, I guess. Yeah, because um, newsmakers now, and not just politicians, anybody really, newsmakers now can bypass the media. You know, if you see disasters happening, everyone kind of just goes to Twitter first, right? And then news outlets later try to come up with a more proper story about uh, with more accurate details about what's really going and on. And I guess the broader consequence is as as advertising revenues decline in mainstream media, basically you, you, mainstream media companies are now relying on individual uh, benefactors or uh, yeah, uh, individual um, donors, yeah. which means issues around media ownership. Does Malaysia have serious problems with media ownership in terms of uh, the power that they might influence in the newsroom or is, is that less of a concern here I moving think, uh, forward? It's not so much about the ownership but rather on the business model. I think um, the business model especially for online publications is pretty much broken because nobody is actually making money uh, we just cannot rely on advertisements and therefore uh, you uh, inevitably you have publications in order to survive um, to like you said I mean they have to rely on certain benefactors so they have not they have, they have to report somewhere along the lines of what the benefactors want but also at the same time uh, there are also benefactors who do not care much uh, about the line of reporting just as long as that um, uh, publication will stay afloat but I but even that to, to survive it will be I mean you have, you have to take into account the business model there yep. and we, I, I don't think in Malaysia we have yet to find uh, a business model that is sustainable for a media outfit yeah because I think um, Karang Craft used to have magazines of, or yeah used to have magazines that were entirely funded by readers they didn't need to have advertisements back then they didn't need to have advertisements they could actually uh they could actually just survive on uh, readers buying their product, but that's no longer the case. The problem is also complicated now by the fact that a lot, I'm talking about the English market, um, a lot of the English news outlets, they pretty much offer the same product, the same news. And so, of course, as a consumer, you wouldn't want to pay for a particular uh, you wouldn't want to subscribe to a particular news outlet if you can get the same product elsewhere that's being offered for free. So in conclusion, are you sort of hopeful of your careers as journalists uh, <laughs> post-G14? Is it, a, is it an exciting, um, stimulating and you know, optimistic time to be a journalist or are you 
I think consistently yeah I, th- I think now that um, the media landscape is much more freer I think it is interesting to look into uh, reporting niche topics perhaps so uh, like Sulin said just now since everyone is writing about the same thing so it is now the responsibility of uh, journalists uh, locally to specialize in topics and uh, and also at the same time owners and uh, editors should also give space to journalists to do their own things rather than just running around covering diary assignments. <laughs> How yeah. are you feeling, um, I'm cautiously optimistic. I mean, it's still a very new government. It's only two months old. So naturally, we haven't seen that many scandals uh, come up yet. Um, time will only tell if when the public becomes gets dissatisfied with the government as they inevitably will be because naturally no one likes governments anywhere around the world so (laughs) when public dissatisfaction becomes greater when there are actually real scandals happening and then we'll see if we have the freedom to report on it or not thanks very much for joining us yeah it's a pleasure yeah thanks thanks thanks, Ross Bye. bye that was Dr. Ross Tapsell from the Australian National University in conversation with Busulin Anzurairi Abdulrahman from the Malay Mail. Our thanks to Sulin Anzurairi for making the time to speak with us, and thanks very much for listening. As I mentioned earlier, this is number two in a series of podcasts on post-GE14 Malaysia. Previously, we featured a couple of conversations with Professor Meredith Weiss on whether Malaysia post-GE14 is democratising, and Dato Ambiga Srinivasan about how Malaysian civil society can hold the new Pakatan government to account. If you're listening to this at SoundCloud or the new Mandala website, don't forget that you can also subscribe to all of our audio releases at iTunes or through the Apple Podcasts app. Just do a search for New Mandala. See you next time.